Okay, First Corinthians chapter uh, 15. And uh, I'm going to pray and we'll get going. We started this last week. Uh, I really thought I would get through it because it didn't feel like there was a ton here, and yet I couldn't get through it. So here we are. Uh, we'll finish it up today. So let's pray and we'll get moving. Uh, Father, I love you. Thank you for today. God, you're good to us. Um, even when we're like, man, I don't understand that. Uh, you're still good to us, Lord. And so uh, um, I do just... Uh, pray that we would find peace in you, uh, and no matter what the circumstance is or what's going on in our life, uh, there's needs all around. Um, there's one right in front of us, but there's there's also, there's just needs. People uh, are going through things in life. Uh, God, we don't always know why or how or anything else, but we just know that uh, you're the author, and uh, uh, we'll just uh, trust in you. So I pray that you'd speak to us today as we wrap up what we started last week here in 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, that you would get the honor and the glory, Lord. I do just thank you for these uh, these faithful people here in Pass Point, and uh, there's just there's just so many of them. Uh, and so I just pray that you would uh, uh, allow us to uh, just continue to move forward uh, with the gospel, uh, and that you would get the glory, uh, no matter what we're doing with it. So uh, I pray that you would just uh, speak to us today in Christ's name, Amen. Okay, so First Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, we I don't have a lot of time to review because I used up some of that before, but. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is kind of like the chapter of quote-unquote full mention of uh, the resurrection, right? But yet we're not going to get to that part today. Uh, that's later on. We'll take our time moving through the resurrection, what that all looks like, why it's important, uh, what happens to all three parts of you, uh, all of that. We'll get into all that, okay? But uh, it starts differently. And so obviously uh, these books have chapter breaks. But when Paul wrote these letters or whoever wrote the letters, it was just a letter. And so at some point somebody went through and gave us breaks. But you have to understand that it's not like, okay, I'm done with chapter 14 now. It's a completely different thought. When you write a letter, generally it just kind of flows together. One thing to the other. You might change topics, but generally there's a reason why this connected to this connected to this. Right, and the next thing you know, you're looking at a video of a squirrel hanging out of a, you know, well, whatever. It's because that's what happens in your brain. It's just like this connects to this, connects to this, and I'm like, how did I get here? Anyway, uh, that's just what happens. So, First Corinthians 15. I'm going to read through the first part of this, and I'll, I'll do a, just a quick recap of last week, and we need to finish up. He says, "Moreover, brethren." So, moreover meaning, okay, obviously there's a break here, but I'm adding to what I've already been saying. So go back and listen to all the teaching that we did before this. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Hmm, that's interesting. Which I have preached unto you, which you also have received, and wherein you stand, by which you are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have been, uh, you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and how he's buried, and how he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve, and after that he was uh, seen of above... 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen also, or seen of me also, of one born out of due time. For I am the last of the apostles that am not made to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's kind of like it is what it is, but I am what I am. And by his grace, which was bestowed upon me, uh, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which is in me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so you believed. And so last week, I asked you just a simple question because I, you go back and listen to it. But I basically said, what is the gospel? 
And you all gave me the church answer, right? It's like going to the E-Wing. The kids are like, we learned about Jesus today. Oh, well, that's good. Uh, you know, it's the death, burial, and resurrection. It's, it's, it, that, those are all right answers, right? You get the, the best explanation of what the gospel actually is. It is uh, Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day, right? That, there it is. It's plain as day. But the gospel is more than that, right? And I, I was trying to get you to actually think a little bit. I know it's Sunday morning and it's early and, um, you know, it's not enough coffee in you yet to just be like, I don't know the answer, right? But uh, what is the gospel? If you were explaining it to somebody who was lost, what is the gospel? And you'd be like, it's the death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, again, go back to last week. I'm lost. Why do I care, right? Make me care, Right? Why should I care about your death, burial, and resurrection? Why should I care? That's why we use our testimony, because it's powerful. It's, it actually is proof of changed life. Go back and listen to all that, because it's good. Um, the gospel has to be why you do what you do. The gospel is hope, right? It's more than just that. It is why we do what we do. And so, uh, something, if you didn't get this last week, uh, just, just hear this. If we're ever going to convince the lost world that they need what we have, we have to be able to articulate that what we have is something they need. If you're ever going to convince the lost world that they need what you've got, then you somehow need to be able to explain why they need what you've got. Because if not, they just look at you as a weird Christian and I'm going to live my life over here, you do that. If you can't bridge that gap somehow, somehow is Jesus, by the way. If you can't bridge that gap somehow, there's, there's always going to be a disconnect. Okay? There's always going to be a disconnect. The gospel's great to those who believe it, right? But it's pretty condemning to those who don't. So how do you articulate that? So anyway, uh, here is what we, what we had last week. Five things that the gospel is in the life of a believer. These things are not in the life of a non-believer, but five things the gospel is in the life of a believer. The first one, I don't have to go back, go back and go through it, but the gospel is how we stand. Basically, the gospel is your stability. It is how you do what you do. It is your center of gravity. Everything you do revolves around how the gospel moves in your life. How Jesus Christ, the rock, moves in your life. Okay? Go back and listen to it. The gospel is how we stand. The second one, the gospel is what saves us. Right? A religious experience isn't what saves you. Praying a prayer at a camp somewhere isn't what saves you. Right? Now, hear me out. Meeting Christ face to face. Having a change of heart that leads to a change of mind that brings upon action. That is what saves you, right? Yes, it does say in the book of Romans, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. I get all that. Um, I've also seen a lot of people pray a prayer and there was no change in their life, right? The, the gospel is what saves you, right? It's, it's the truth of the Word of God, right? It is all of that. And then it also talks about the judgment. Go back and look into all that. Um, but yes, remember Romans 10, 13. It starts with belief... Then it leads to confession, and that leads to action, right? Now, action is post-salvation. I'm not saying that there's any work that goes into salvation, but I am saying that when the Word of God pricks your heart, right, it causes you to want to change. And then it causes you to, okay, what I need to do is confess that my sin is what separates me from God. Okay, now that's going to do what? It's going to bring apart or bring upon what we call repentance, Right? It is a change of heart that leads to a change of action. Okay, go back and listen to all that. The third thing, and we kind of rush through this, and then I'm going to slow down and get to where we're at. Uh, verses 3 and 4, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. Easy enough, we all know that. That's the easiest answer to that question. But is it that in your life? I just got started, guys, so you're all good if you want to come in. If not, it's all good, too. Oh, okay. 
I mean, you look really good, so if that helps, I... Yeah. <laughs> the gospel is the, the daily death, burial, and resurrection, right? It is how you live that out every day in your life. It's one thing to say, yeah, I got saved X amount of years ago. But you could have fooled me, right? Now, I'm not talking to anybody in particular, but uh, I, you can call yourself an apple tree all you want. All I'm telling you is there's like rotten oranges growing on that tree. I don't know what it is, but you can claim that there's fruit. It doesn't look like there's fruit. What's Jesus say in the Gospels over and over and over again? You're going to know them by their fruit. right? That's how you know them. It's the daily death, burial, and resurrection. Christ died. Well, guess what? So does everybody else. That doesn't make him any different. Christ was buried. Well, again, so does everybody else, right? I don't know anybody that doesn't end up. It's just the way it is. But Christ resurrected, and, and that's what makes him different. He's the only person that's been able to do it yet. He resurrected. He, he's, he's something different. The world, if the world's going to see something in you that they need, it's going to be seeing you live this out every day. So what does that look like? What does a daily death, burial, and resurrection look like in your life? Okay, it looks like you dying to yourself. In a world of me first, live like Jesus did and not put you first. Put somebody else first. And then when you're tired, put somebody else first. And when you're like, I can't do anymore, okay, now you've only got like everybody else in the world to put first again. That's life, right? That's what life in Christ looks like. Die to yourself. So you, just the death part of it. What does the, the burial looks like? The daily burial. Bury the old man. Say no to the flesh because the flesh is dead. Every person in here battles with this thing that Paul calls the flesh, right? It's our skin. Uh, it likes cheeseburgers and ice cream. Uh, it likes lots of sleep. Uh, it likes uh, not working very often. It likes all of those things. And the world says you need to do all these other things, right? The world says I have to get up and go to work. The world says I have to minister to people. God says I need to minister to people, right? All of these different things. A daily death, burial, and resurrection in your life is you dying to self. You're burying the old man. It is you saying, I'm not doing that anymore because God has called me to something different, something better, right? Bury the old man. Bury the flesh because the flesh is dead. And what is the resurrection, the daily resurrection look like? Well, I said this last week and I don't think anybody got it. You have to live like you actually believe you're going to be resurrected. We all know, yeah, Jesus died, he was buried, he was re- and, and he resurrected. And we all know, you know, you go into D2 and you're like, okay, there's going to be a, a rapture someday if I'm still alive, I'm going to meet Jesus in the clouds, and if, if I've died, then there's going to be a resurrection for me as well. And we all know that, right? Um, the problem is, I don't see a lot of quote-unquote Christians. No, there are definitely some. Um, but I don't see a lot of Christians who live a daily life, they, they really believe they're going to be resurrected. Or that they really believe it could happen today, I guess is more important. I don't see a lot of Christians who are like so fired up about what God is doing today that they feel like I've got to get it done today because this might be the last day that I have. You know, a daily living of the death, burial, and resurrection is actually living like you believe you're going to be resurrected, right? That's what that looks like. Stop living a life that's defeated, that's all bogged down, that's like, oh my gosh, woe is me, this, that, and the other. I get it. I said this last week. There, there are things in life that come at you, and they come at you fast. And sometimes you feel like you took one on the chin, right? And, and it's okay to take a step back. But it doesn't mean you can live your life defeated, right? It's okay to take a step back, but it makes sure you take that step back into the Word of God and find out what the Word of God has to say about it. The Word of God says that, you know, we were talking about this the other day. What things are honest? What things are true? What things are 
right, what things are godly, all of these things. Okay, it's easier to get your life back on plain, right? When you can go back to those things. Okay, I did take one on the chin. Something did happen in life that was completely unexpected. Does that mean I have to live the rest of my life where I'm just like completely... No. Stop living defeated. Live like you're going to be resurrected someday. And it could be today, man. We've got to live that way. That's what the gospel is the daily death, burial, and resurrection. And if you if you were going to try to show your lost friends, family, whoever else, that what you have is something that they actually need to get a hold of, then you better start living it. Because your words are in vain. And I say that to myself as well. You they're just in vain, okay? That's what it looks like living it daily, day in and day out. Okay, so the last two. We're right on time. We're going to get done. It's going to be all good. Uh, verse 5. Back up to verse 5. I didn't go back and read it. But here's what he says. And he was seen. So this is after Christ died and buried and was resurrected. Verse 5. It says, uh, And he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, meaning the disciples. After that, he was seen above uh, 500 brethren at once. So there was a large group of people that saw him after he was resurrected. Okay? Uh, of whom the greater part remain in this present, but some are fallen asleep. Meaning... Uh, most of those 500 people you could actually go talk to when he wrote this letter and actually get a first-hand account. Some of them have died since then, but like there's people you can talk to that saw this happen, right? That's what he's trying to say. Uh, after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, of one born out of due time. He's talking about uh, he, he was the apostle born out of due time. We know that... Uh, Paul the Apostle saw Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus face to face. It was such a uh, shocking experience to his life that it knocked him straight to the ground, caused blindness in him for several days. Uh, if your salvation experience wasn't something similar to that, I'm not saying you're not saved, and I'm not saying that if you didn't get blinded for a few days that uh, you need to check your salvation at the door, but what I am saying is uh, I really hope that when you got saved, it knocked you off to your axis a little bit. A little bit of pun intended. Like, I hope that it knocked you uh, into something different, right? Because that's what meeting Jesus does. Okay, so that's what he's saying. Uh, it happened to, to me as well, one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles uh, uh, that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Okay, so here's the next thing that the gospel is in the life of a believer, okay? The next thing that the gospel is. So these other things are present, right? All of these things are present in somebody who is a believer. These things are not present in somebody who is a, what we like to call a poser, right? Somebody who wants to be but isn't, or claims to be but isn't, or doesn't claim to be at all and still isn't, okay? Uh, real quick, back up because I want to make sure I get this uh, to the second point. Um, no, I'm sorry, it'll be the third point. The death bearer, no, I don't know, either way. Uh, I just want to make sure I hit this. Uh, in, in verse 2, he says, By which you are saved, if you keep memory, which I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Um, there are some people that have believed in vain. Quote-unquote, believed in vain. Uh, they maybe, quote-unquote, got saved for all the wrong reasons. Uh, somebody was pushing them to making a decision. They maybe went to a camp and uh, they were really emotional about something. And uh, that's okay. But I do want to make sure you understand that um, salvation is uh, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It's not just you uh, hoping that something's going to happen. When you meet Jesus, you know it, right? And uh, also, you know it if you didn't meet Jesus. And it's okay to go back and be like, 
whatever happened wasn't really salvation. It was maybe me coming to some knowledge, but it, there was no change of heart that led to a change of mind. There was no me getting off the throne of my life and putting Jesus on the throne, all of those things, okay? So just make sure that just because somebody claims that, uh, oh yeah, I, I, I prayed a prayer, I did this and that, praise the Lord, uh, is their fruit. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit, okay? And sometimes people get saved and they just don't know what to do. So I'm not saying that anybody who doesn't just like have this radical testimony doesn't mean they didn't get saved. But I am saying that I've personally met a lot of people who, for whatever reason, have tried to like cloak their lack of actually surrendering in a prayer. And they know just as good as everybody else does that if they die, they would not be with Christ for eternity. So anyway, I'm just throwing that out there. There's a reason he puts that in there. Okay, so back to where we're at. Um, so the fourth thing that you're going to find in the life of a believer, that the gospel is in the life of a believer, is the gospel is physically manifest in a way that others can't help but see it. The gospel is physically manifest in a way that others can't help but see it. When the gospel is for real in somebody's life, you look at them and you're just like, man, they're different, Right? They're on fire for something and it's not themselves anymore. There's, there's something going on. The gospel is that in you. When you get saved, and I mean like when you, when you get on board the Jesus train, man, something about you is different and you just, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't even hide it anymore. Uh, you could even like not have the opportunity to say the Jesus words, right? And you know what I'm talking about. You may have a job where it's not really quote unquote okay to talk about those things. I still recommend that you do everything you can to talk about those things, but sometimes you just can't, right? Uh, sometimes you're around somebody who like wants nothing to do with hearing about Jesus. Okay, well, don't use the Jesus words, but talk about Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like You have to do that. Even when you can't do that, there better be something about your life that is so physically manifest that it's like they can't help but be like, I don't know what it is, but something about you is different. I don't know what it is, But when everybody else would have done this, you do that. Cause them to want to ask questions. Even when you have people that don't want to hear what you have to say, be the person in their life that they know when like the world crumbles around them, you're the one that they can call because they know that some reason you have an answer. Well, obviously, now you've asked for the Jesus words. Let me show you the answer right? of the hope that lies within me. Right? Sometimes they don't want to hear it out of the book to start with. So let them hear it by the way you live because eventually they'll ask for it. It just happens. And you might be like, you don't know the person I'm talking about. I'm just saying that there's been a lot of people that I thought never would ask that have asked, well, what does the Bible say then? And it might not come across in the most uh, subtle, it might not come across in the most gentle way, uh, but they're going to ask the best way they know how. Well, fine, what's the Bible say about it then? Well, let me tell you. Let me show you, right? The gospel will be so physically manifest in a way that other can't say, do you look different than the old you? Now, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm not talking about the old me that weighed like 35 pounds more or whatever. I'm talking about like, do you look different than the you before you were saved? Right? Do you look different? I'm not saying act different. Do you look different? Because there's a difference. How do you just hold yourself? Do you look different than the world does? If you're, uh, not if, is your testimony screaming Jesus even when your words can't? Now, I'm not saying like hinting. I'm not just like screaming. Is, is your testimony just like, it's just screaming, Jesus Christ? Because the lost world, they know. They know you go to church. They know that you're a Christian, or at least they better. 
Um, but do does, does your testimony scream it loud enough that they know that they can come and ask when it's time? There's a lot of people that I've known over time that are probably saved. They go to church, right? They're they're even maybe connected. But if I was a lost person, I don't know that I'd, they're the person I would want to know what the Bible has to say. Because they can't even get it figured out in their own life, let alone... Like you, your life should should scream that I'm living for something other than myself. And man, if you're ever ready for that, I can show you how. Right? He's, Paul's like, man, I, Jesus died. He, he, he died. He, buried, he was buried. He was rose again. And there's a lot of people who saw it. Okay, well, in your life, did you die? Were you buried and have you rose again daily? Right? And are people seeing it? Can I, could, 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 could somebody other than yourself give a list of everybody who saw what's different about you? Right? Like, have you ever come across, let me ask you this. Since you've been saved, have you come across somebody that you used to maybe run around with? We'll just say that. And they, they haven't been around you since then. So they don't know that you know, you got Jesus, right? That's how the world likes to say it. Oh, you got Jesus, right? No, I got saved. I gave my life to Christ and I live for something more than myself. But anyway, you can call it what you want. Uh, but have you ever come across somebody that you used to hang out with, run around with, be an acquaintance with, and they know nothing about the change in you, and then all of a sudden you you, you run into each other, whether it's, uh, you know, out, out and about, wherever it is, and then they're just like, I mean, you're not, you're not like that at all anymore, right? You, not at all. I think of people that I used to be like really good friends with, um, closest to in the world, and I don't even know them anymore because like we are just different people. And it's not that I don't want to know them, but they don't really want to know the Jesus that lies within me. You need to look different. Is the hope in you so physically active that the lost world can't help to desire what you've got? Now, they're never going to come right out and say it because the lost world never comes right out and say it. But man, is there something in you that as they walk away, they're just like, man, I think they're crazy, but there's peace in their life. I think they're crazy, but they have hope. I think they're crazy, but, you know, there's something there, right? What is it? Uh, it was one of the, I can't think of the guy's name. I think it was William Carey, but maybe I'm getting missionaries tied up. But anyway, uh, the guy went to, William Carey was a missionary to India. I'm almost positive, right? A lot of guys, anyway. But anyway, he goes. And this was a long time ago. It was Jim. What? It was Jim. Jim. Jim Carrey. <laughs> I have a movie reference, but I'm going to hold back. <laughs> There's a lot of movie references, actually, but I'm going to hold back. That's the old me. Uh, anyway, uh William Carey, he goes, uh, and obviously this is back when there weren't even airplanes, so he, he sails to India, and he takes his wife and his kids with him, and uh, he's there for a lot of years, and not a single person gets saved. They give their entire life to this thing, right? And uh, basically his wife ends up getting sick after years of this thing uh, for a long time, and she ends up dying, right? And uh, so the people are watching, the people that he's ministering to, these Indians, uh, and uh they're just watching from afar. You've got to study this guy's life. He's, he's like a rock star. He's like the rock star missionary. But anyway, uh, he goes, his wife dies, and um, still no salvations, and he continues on. He doesn't quit. He doesn't leave. Um, 
you know, the kids are sick, all these different things are going on, and then something happens one day. Like a whole group of them get saved, and then all of a sudden there's this massive revolution because of what he's done. And here's what they said. Uh, like the leader of this, this group that he was ministering to said, uh, we believe that your God was good for living, but we weren't sure if he was good for dying. Right? Do you live your life in such a way that you present yourself that uh, my God's good enough for dying as well? Right? Uh, my God is good enough that even if the things that are closest to me, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit because there's hope in the resurrection. Right? Anyway, just go back and read that. I probably butchered that somewhat, but the gist of it is, is that. Yes, ma'am? Terry, he translated the Bible into a form of um, Sanskrit. Yes. They then translated it into the Arita Bible. Mm-hmm. That kind of oh, yeah, yeah. It, William Carey, I'm telling you, like you can study a lot of missionaries. William Carey is top on my list, and I studied several of them. Not all of them, obviously, but uh, I studied several of them when I was going through HPI. Anyway, so the, the last thing. Uh, that the gospel is verses 9 to 11. For he says, I am the least of the apostles that have not made, uh, not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Go back and read the book of Acts if you don't know what I'm talking about. Paul actually persecuted the church and then God basically struck him down on the road to Damascus. All that. So he's like, uh, God changed my life. Uh, he says, for I'm the last apostles. Uh, anyway, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now that should be your life testimony right there. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Uh, and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were uh, it were I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. The last thing that the gospel is in the life of a believer, at least out of this text that I pulled out of it, was the gospel is what makes us who we are. We can say, oh, I'm a Christian because uh, I go to church. Well, that's, I mean, I hate to be like this, but that's lame. Um, well, I'm a Christian because I uh, do some ministry every now and then. Again, I'm sorry, that's lame. Uh, uh, I'm a Christian because the God of the universe got a hold of my life and basically said, follow me. And I forsook my nets and followed him. Um, that's that's why. Like, Hopefully you have a testimony that's similar to that. Now, obviously, I kind of pulled that from you know Peter, but uh, God said, hey, are you going to follow me or not? I'd heard it enough times, and uh, it was like right here in front of my face, and he was like, hey, um, are you going to follow me or not? And I actually believe this. Brian Hedges says this sometimes, but I believe I had heard the gospel enough times in my life to know that if I continued to not go that way, that the grace of God was going to be less graceful every day moving forward, right? Um, there's, there's a difference. So the grace of God is apparent in everybody's life, right? But the grace of God then turns into the mercy of God when you continue to reject it or continue to not do the right thing. So now it's no longer grace. It's what God calls mercy. And then it leads to something different. Um, that's what's called the wrath of God. And I don't hope that that ends up in anybody's life. But if you choose to continue to be disobedient to what God has called you to do, the grace of God, it never runs out, but uh, it turns to mercy. And uh, there's a day coming. There's a judgment coming where it turns to wrath. So make sure that you understand that. The gospel is what makes us who we are. Now, let me make sure I say this right. Your... I always get this backwards. You're not a Christian because you got saved. Or, I'm sorry, that is what it is. You are a Christian because you got saved, right? 
you didn't get saved because you were a Christian. And there's a lot of people in American Christianity that get that wrong. Oh, I was I was born a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. We went to church. So yeah, I got saved. That doesn't make sense, right? You didn't get saved because you were a Christian. You are a Christian. You are a child of God. You are a follower of the living God because you got saved. It is a cause and effect thing. One didn't happen because the other was close. You grew up in a Christian home. That's great. I'll tell your parents thanks. That doesn't mean you're saved, right? It takes a face-to-face encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ for anything personal to happen in your life. Make sure you understand that and make sure that you're able to articulate that to the world that we live in because some people get that wrong. It's only because of the grace of God that you are who you are anyway. Don't ever forget where you came from. Too often we, as we get farther away from salvation, post-salvation, we forget the world that we came from. We forget the sin that did so easily beset us. We forget the, you know, all that. And we're just like, oh yeah, I've got this now. Um, you don't have anything now. Um, make sure you understand that. Don't forget where you came from and what victory the gospel has given you. I always encourage people to do this. If God has like done a major victory in your life, write it down. Throw it in the margin of your Bible. Like, hey, this verse right here caused me to get my things in order. That's the best way, the most politically correct way I can say. It caused me to, to start seeing things. Write that down because it's easy to forget. But then as you read back through it again sometime, when you read it, you're like, oh my gosh, I remember that. I remember what I was going. I remember... God's freaking awesome, man. Like, you need those things in your life because it's too easy to forget. Don't forget where you came from and what victory God has given you. Make sure you understand that without the gospel, and it kind of ties the whole thing together, without the gospel, we're all men most miserable. Verse 19 says that. We're going to get to that next week. Without the gospel... Without the hope that lies within you, you are all men most miserable. You can have all the church in your life that you want. Without the gospel, who cares? Make sure that there's something bigger. Like, ask yourself this. Just kind of a question. Two questions that you can just like jot down if you want. And you can ask yourself this. And even if you're not an internal processor, let me encourage you to internally process this before you just spout something off and think through it. How has the gospel changed your life? Personally. How has the gospel changed my life? And here's the even better question because you know it's easy to be like, well, I'm saved now. Again, internally process this thing. It's a little deeper than that. Uh, how are you allowing the gospel to use you to change other people's lives? Because if the gospel has changed your life, then it better be doing this. How are you allowing the gospel to use you to change other people's lives? Because that's what it's all about, y'all. It's not about coming to church and, you know, singing fun Jesus songs and taking care of kids and all of that. It's about getting the gospel where it needs to go on time because, man, there's a clock ticking. And once the last Gentile gets saved, this dispensation's over and something different's coming. And you're going to be like, man, I wish I would have done something from heaven because at that point you're raptured out of here. And you'll be like, man, there's some people that I wish I would have got the gospel to. Guess what? It's not about coming to church and having a good time. Although, yeah, great. I'm glad you're here. Like, coming to church, it's like getting you built up so you can be sent out for the week. And as the world chips you down, you can come back next week and be like, okay, I needed that. It's refreshing. Right? And now I'm ready to go out again. Make sure you understand what the church is for. Okay? Make sure you understand why we're here. How are you allowing the gospel to use you to change other people's lives? All right. Father, I love you. I thank you for today. 
God, you're good to us even when uh, life throws uh, just haymakers at us. And so, Lord, I do pray that you would get the glory and the honor uh, no matter what we're doing, uh, whether we're, um, you know, taking meals to people or, um, you know, driving nails, building houses, taking care of kids, you know, working on uh, just things, whatever it is. God, I pray that no matter what it is that we're doing, we're able to allow the gospel that lies within us to just scream that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, even when we can't use the words to say it. God, I do. I pray that uh, the same way that just even this little uh, passage has convicted me over the last two weeks, that it would uh, maybe convict somebody else to get a little more serious about what you're doing uh, because there's only a little bit of time. So, God, I do thank you for being good to us. I pray you just uh, preach through Pastor Brian as he preaches to us this morning. Uh, Just use us as lights in a dark world because, man, the world we live in is messed up. But there's a reason that you've left us here, and it's not just to see the messed up of the world. It's to do something about it. So I pray you would just use us as ministers of the gospel. Uh, Lord, I do just pray for everything that's going on. I pray that as we... Uh, just move forward, we'd be able to minister to one another, even though ministry is not convenient, uh, that you would just allow us to suffer our flesh and allow you to live through us. And I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.